Hey everyone, today's show is part two of a two-part series where I'm discussing the importance of management training to minimize the risk of employee relations issues and internal HR investigations. I'm gonna share what good management training looks like, some tips on training delivery methods, key content in a good program, and share some guidelines on generally the cost of a good program. This is most definitely an episode that you don't wanna miss. Welcome to the HR Investigations Podcast, exploring the issues, challenges, strategies, and solutions. Sponsored by RPCHR and hosted by Natalie Ivey, an HR consultant, licensed PI, and author of the best-selling book, How to Conduct Internal Investigations, a Practical Guide for Human Resource Professionals. And now, here's Natalie. Hi everyone, I'm Natalie Ivey and welcome to today's show. This is part two on how to prevent HR investigations. Now in part one's episode, I shared that a root cause to internal investigations is often attributed to just plain old bad management and specifically managers who either haven't had any training at all about how to properly supervise and lead employees or managers who have had some training but it definitely hasn't helped them to improve their knowledge and skills. So in this episode, I want to share what really good management training looks like, what bad management training looks like, some tips on delivery methods, and even key content so that you understand some of the important things such as do's and don'ts that managers really need to know from a regulatory compliance standpoint, and then give you some general ideas on the cost of training. All right, so good versus bad management training. All right, when we think of bad management training, what comes to mind? Well, for me, there are a few key things. All right, so number one is there wasn't a good needs assessment done. Uh, All right, what is a needs assessment? Well, a needs assessment is when you get together with the person who is going to be delivering the program to talk about the specific knowledge and skill gaps that are showing up with your management team. If you don't do that, and if the company that you're working with to do your training just sort of schedules it and just has a trainer show up, you're definitely going to be setting yourself up for a failure point. Well, why? Because training off the shelf, if you will, what we like to call in the learning and development field here, is um, you know not necessarily a one-size-fits-all. Now, there are some key things that, yes, managers can learn, such as how to delegate. And some of those things are, are, of course, skill areas that are kind of universal. However, there are some uh, management teams that really are in need of some very specific skills training, such as conflict management. And if you don't really know that ahead of time, then the program that you're going to implement isn't really going to move the needle on shifting behaviors and things that you're really trying to accomplish, right? The other thing that I see that's a bad program is just not enough interaction. Uh, There's got to be, in today's environment especially, a lot of interaction that cannot be just a lecture, lecture, lecture type of program. You know, some knowledge transfer, of course, has to happen. The instructor has to share uh, key concepts. And certainly when we talk about employment laws. I mean, there is a bit of knowledge transfer taking place from trainer to the audience, but there's got to be interaction. And that means things like case studies and and classroom exercises. They have to be involved in a more experiential environment. So bad programs are very much just lecture, lecture, lecture. All right. Another problem is not having the right content at the right level of leadership at the right time. Oh, I see this happen all the time. 
No, it's wonderful that we do leadership training, but the problem is if you're trying to put your frontline or mid-level leaders through this fancy leadership training, and there's a lot of it out there, well, they might be learning about, um, oh, maybe historical figures or looking back at history who have been some of our very fine leaders and looking at how they influenced. And okay, that's great, feel good, you know, rah-rah kind of stuff. But what happens is, especially frontline leaders that are new to the job, they kind of don't even know what being a leader is all about. They don't understand how to have a performance discussion. How do they issue a write-up? How do they talk to an employee that has a hygiene problem? How, how do they handle an employee who's not showing up for work or making lots of mistakes? And, and they just leave that you know sort of feel-good leadership session, and they haven't learned a darn thing, right? And you spent probably a lot of money on it. So honestly, that's a big one. But the last one that I see is training that lacks the do's and don'ts of what managers really need to know, and specifically things like regulatory compliance. All right, again, leadership training, I've seen quite a bit of what I call fluff. It's a lot of communication skills, and it can be packaged up like that. But if they're really not applying it, and they're not really working through even uh, kind of difficult scenarios that are likely that they would face in the day-to-day environment, you know, it'll you know, give them kind of a a feel good by being in this training class, but they will really not be changing anything in terms of their behavior when they leave. So that's my point is uh, there's a lot of that, um, you know, kind of high level leadership training that is out there. It's one thing if you need your senior leaders to be able to think about perhaps being visionary or learning from other leaders in the past who perhaps even learning about entrepreneurs in the past, like J.D. Rockefeller, you know, and learning about their entrepreneurial spirit and and risk-taking. And okay, great, that's fine for that senior executive suite. And some of those kinds of training programs can be very, very effective. But the problem is we're, we're delivering a lot of times training that is too high level for the frontline and mid-level leaders, all right? So that's kind of what bad management training looks like. And then also not having the trainer that's a good fit with the audience. You've got to have someone who's got what I call the street cred to really fit with your group, all right? Now, what does good management training look like that can help you minimize the risk in your business? Well, for starters, it's designed to really improve the knowledge and develop the skills for the audience that's going to attend the darn training, right? And that means that you've got to know who that audience is. Are they operations managers? Do they work in a shop environment? Are we working with software developers that work in a completely different environment? Are we working with a group of accountants? Not every group is going to have the same kind of behavioral styles and even the um, you know same level of even interest in wanting to be in the class. So making sure that your program content is designed properly. When I think about a training program for managers, and especially those that work in more operational environments where they're supervising uh, teams of direct reports, I like to think about that relationship with managers and direct reports a lot like the coach on the sidelines in a game of football. If you think about it, can't be a coach if you don't know the rules. How in the world can you possibly be effective at winning games if you don't even understand the players you need to put on the field and where, how many players you're allowed to have, and what are the boundary lines? What kinds of uh, penalties could you incur uh, for certain types of behavior? You see, management training that is good training really teaches your managers how to be good coaches. 
um, they learn how to put the right players on the field in the right positions. In other words, how to delegate assignments to staff, how to select them appropriately, how to coach them and hone their skills. In other words, how to have crucial conversations and mentor, um, how to hold them accountable if they engage in unsportsmanlike conduct that creates flags on the play and yardage penalties. All right. In other words, out of football language here is a manager that has to sit down with someone is maybe making some mistakes or uh, behavior is a little abrupt, abrasive, or maybe even, you know, egregious conduct that needs to be held accountable. All right. A coach on the sidelines is certainly not going to let a player continue to do face masks or unnecessary roughness or engage in unsportsmanlike conduct. You keep doing that. You're definitely not going to win the game because you're going to have the ref throwing flags every five minutes. And uh, those penalties are costing you. The other team is going to definitely, uh, get to the end zone before you, you see. So managers are really needing to understand when they come into a training program that their job is a lot like a coach and they've got to understand these rules of engagement. Right. So the other aspect of good management training is, of course, an experienced instructor. Uh, That means, uh, or trainer, if you will, um, the trainer has to not only have good platform skills, meaning from the front of the room and being able to connect with the audience and and certainly deliver the material, um, but they also have to have the ability to facilitate accordingly. And that means they've got to manage their hecklers. They've got to learn who their hecklers are, maybe ahead of time. Um, they've also got to recognize sometimes managers in the room that are higher that might be included. They want a grandstand. I mean, I had a a training class with an executive vice president that uh, we were talking about legal concepts of uh, recruiting, you know, do's and don'ts of things that you can say and cannot say when you are interviewing an applicant. And uh, he just blurted out that he was just completely willing to break the law. Wow. All right. I was able to manage through that as uh, a seasoned training instructor. And uh, we took a break shortly after that. And then I had a chat with him out in the hallway. Essentially, one-on-one, we discussed that that really was not an appropriate thing to say. And also, it's contrary to the purpose of the entire program. And uh, I began to realize after spending some time with this group that one of the reasons why this group was as dysfunctional as it was, was because of this individual's lack of leadership and ethics. <laughs> so sometimes there are interesting things you discover. All right. I can tell you also myself, I've personally left training programs I've attended and even asked uh, one class particularly I took, I asked for a refund because within five minutes, I could tell the individual who was at the front of the room, she was clearly not capable. She was fumbling over her notes and just simply wasn't qualified to deliver that type of program. I'm sorry, if you really are a subject matter expert and you're connecting with the audience, you should really be working with minimal notes. It's one thing to have a facilitator guide and, you know, flip through, you know, page by page so you're moving through your program. Sure, that's understandably so. But she had little three by five index cards and she was fumbling through her cards to try to remember what she should say next. That is not a professional and quality training instructor. All right. So you've got to choose wisely. Now, let me tell you about some tips on training delivery methods. Virtual is out there. We're doing a lot more of that, especially coming out of the pandemic. I do a lot of virtual training these days here at RPC, um, and it can be very, very effective for certain types of programs. However, and that's a big however here, in my experience though, when you're trying to train managers that work in a facility or like a, a plant operations environment, or even an office, the virtual, like a Zoom sort of setup is just not gonna be effective. 
Now, I know senior leaders really love virtual training because they love it cuts costs. And I, I understand, you know, we're all looking for ways to minimize our expenses. But, you know, when you have employees that, uh, you know, are going to be learning skills on how to shift their behavior and things like that, uh, understanding do's and don'ts of compliance, that is not as easy to accomplish in a virtual setting. If the key objective is really shifting behavior and you want to slow down employee complaints, you want managers to begin taking ownership of conflicts and you you want them to really start shifting into being leaders and not just um, you know order givers, right? If you want that, then you're going to have to invest. You, you can't just plunk people down in front of a computer because I'll tell you what happens, especially with ops people. Okay, they'll have the Zoom call up, but they're over here doing email, they're on their phone, they're doing different things because there's no accountability, you know. But when you have an actual classroom setting, there is accountability because it's peer-to-peer accountability. They're in the same room with everyone. And, you know, if they're trying to be on their phone, no. And I could tell you one of the CEOs that I work with, his name is Randy, and uh, he has a basket. Everyone puts their phone in a basket before they come into the program. And the reason for that is he said, we're investing in your professional development. We want you to get the full benefit of it. And you can't do that if you're trying to multitask. Okay. So now if it's an emergency, sure, he understands like if someone's, you know, spouse is expecting and, you know, they're needing uh, to know when they're going into labor. Yeah. Okay. There's a little reasonableness, but generally speaking, they need to be engaged. And so being in the same room, that helps the accountability for people being engaged and paying attention. But what it also does is it provides for other learning and development interactions, meaning that they can talk with one another at the breaks. They can work on activities together in a face-to-face and safe environment. And uh, a lot of that is trust building and team building that's taking place at the same time. You know, colleagues that they may not normally work with routinely, now they're in a classroom setting, rolling up their sleeves and working on an exercise together. And suddenly now, uh, maybe even a colleague that they previously had a little friction with, suddenly those barriers begin to come down. So there are many byproducts of having people in a learning and development session live together in the same room. Um, and then also the trainer's ability to really assess body language. Um, you know, if someone's struggling with um, a particular concept, it's a lot harder to really do that. And, you know, again, from a training perspective, I do a lot of virtual classes, yes. But uh, when I'm delivering management training, that's on site. Uh, I really am very adamant about that. Uh, the programs that we do are on site, right? And if we do have a remote team, yes, all right, we will do a, a, a class, you know, with a group of team members and we will work through it virtually. But uh, because they are remote workers, they're really used to the virtual space, right? But when you try to take people in an ops environment where they're normally out interacting with people live, but then you're going to plunk them into a Zoom training. That is not really going to be effective. One of the reasons why I bring this up as an important aspect of good training and really helping to shift the the behavior of your managers, I was uh, delivering a training with a large group. These are um, folks that supervise technicians in a truck maintenance shop type of environment. And uh, one of the managers, and for our discussion purposes today, I'll refer to him as Rico. I noticed that Rico was beginning to really withdraw from the class discussion. He kind of even appeared a bit sullen. He looked a little unhappy and um, he just wasn't engaging with the group. All right. Well, because of my experience, I was sensing that Rico was struggling with the topic of discussion and the topic was managing employee performance and, you know, framing feedback discussions and things like that. 
And what I knew from uh, my previous interactions with this group, because we worked through what is called the DISC profile, I had done uh, the Everything Disc Management workshop with this group, and I knew Rico was a steady in a style. And that behavioral style, generally individuals who are steadies, they're more soft-spoken. They're not very dominant personality types. Um, they um, usually are the better listeners versus the talkers. And they generally are, out of all four behavioral styles, the ones that struggle with conflict the most. These leaders really do struggle with holding employees accountable. They're going to be your biggest procrastinators on your team uh, because conflict is very agonizing for them. Well, the exercise in class, uh, what we were working through was this framework on how to provide performance feedback. And then the group had a chance to really practice the exercise with a partner. So this is where we were working on it, but had not yet moved into the, the practice part of the exercise. So I decided to give the group a break. It gave me an opportunity to really just seek out Rico at the break and talk with him one-on-one. -on -one. Well, I was able to confirm my instincts. When I started talking with them, I grabbed a coffee and I said, how about we take a, a, a walk? Let, let's step out back. And we went out into the parking lot. And uh, I said, I was just kind of noticing. I said, Rico, you seem to be a little un uncomfortable. I said, am I right about that? And um, he was like, well, yeah. And, you know, and he just kind of said, you know, he really just struggles with this and that there are times he really questions whether he should even be a manager. And, you know, and he was, he was a little fearful of what the expectations were that were being laid out for him. He was learning about his role as a leader. And uh, the hard parts are certainly the people management stuff. And especially when things aren't going so well with some of your direct reports and you have to have these crucial conversations. Well, what I did was shift into shifted into a bit of a coaching and mentorship type of discussion with him. And I was able to help him explain that his job is really working like a coach in football, working like a mentor. And I said, look, you've probably benefited over the years from mentors, haven't you? Well, yeah. And I said, you, you've got to kind of get this mental block about every time you sit down with an employee, it's going to be a bad interaction. And I said, you, you have to overcome that fear. I said, the more that you learn these skills and apply them, the easier this process becomes. And I said, just like a coach that needs to sit down with key players that might perhaps be making some mistakes or costing them yardage on the, on the football field, and uh, they're not winning games because of it. All right, coaches have to have those crucial conversations with players, right? And at some point, yeah, sometimes they cut the player. And I said, that's kind of what happens with us when we're having to deal with an employee that really is not performing or they are having some behavioral problems where they're violating our policies. I said, you know, you just can't tolerate that. And I said, so just like, you know, a coach and a player that isn't really meshing with the team or they're just not doing what it is that they're expected to do, uh, coaches have to make those calls as well. So I kind of helped him to understand a little bit more of, of what we were trying to accomplish with even the classroom exercise and address it. But you see, if I'm in a virtual setting, that's a whole lot harder to do that because you just don't necessarily get to see that body language and things change. In summary, my experience here is on-site training is really the much, much better way to go, particularly for training on teaching supervisors do's and don'ts and giving them the basic skills they need to lead so that you're really minimizing employee relations issues and having to kind of mop it up with, you know, investigations. As I've said, investigations are very much a reactionary process, right? We really need to focus on preventing the employee relations to begin with. And that's really what you do when you implement good management training. You're teaching them those foundational skills. 
Now let's talk about key content for management training. All right, as I shared in part one, um, how to prevent HR investigations, I talked about the do's and the don'ts. Managers really need to understand the things that they say and do that can really get the company in hot water. Um, you know, telling jokes that cross over the line and infringe upon someone's civil rights, you know, just as an example. Um, they need to understand the framework of the laws. And as I said earlier, like managers being like coaches in the game of football, you can't play the game effectively and without creating flags on the play and generating penalties if you don't even understand the darn rules. So at the very least, managers need to know federal and state labor and employment laws. And biggest federal law, of course, is Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. And they need to know the protected characteristics, race, color, sex, religion, and national origin and how not to say and do things, of course, that um, infringe on other civil rights. They also need to know the other equal employment opportunity laws like ADA, GINA, PDA, which is pregnancy discrimination, the new PUMP Act, the new Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. Uh, they should also know USERA, which deals with military service members, the National Labor Relations Act, and also concerted activities. They need to be careful of not infringing upon employees' rights to engage in what's called concerted activity under the law, uh, OSHA around workplace safety, family and medical leave, and any state leave laws that you may have, and the Fair Labor Standards Act that defines uh, overtime rules and things like that. So that's just a handful, all right? Now, when we deliver training that's good training, it isn't just, well, here you go. Here's all this alphabet soup of all this compliance. No. Good management training explains to them what the laws are, examples of do's and don'ts, and what they are supposed to do when they're supervising employees to enforce your organization's policies, which, of course, policies are aligned with laws. And in addition to labor and employment laws, managers, and especially the frontline and mid-level, they really need to understand clearly the role of a leader. They need to understand what is a supervisor, because here's the reality. If you have managers who have been promoted, you know, maybe from an individual uh, contributor role, let's say technician who turned a wrench to suddenly now shop supervisor, very different competencies. And even if they just had a bad manager at their last job and they really couldn't stand that manager and even quit, well, what you will find is without a good model of exactly what good leadership looks like, what are they going to do? They're going to revert to what they know. They don't know any better. So they'll begin to order people around and they'll say, well, you better get this done or I'm going to write you up. And that's exactly what they hated about their last boss, but they just don't know how to structure conversations and how to lead other than the bad example that they were shown before. You see, this is why it's critical that in a good leadership program, we're explaining what the role of a leader really is, how to set goals, how to give employees clear direction, how to manage employee performance, uh, like an employee that's struggling to master a skill, how to deal with behavioral issues uh, where you know an employee might be engaging in something like harassment or um, maybe uh, insubordinate. All right, they need to know how to deal with that. So I like to call it how-to skills. You know, it's it's important that they really get the practical examples of how to do these things so that when they walk out of that room, they're immediately applying those how-to skills and you're starting to see changes immediately in the way they're working with their teams. So a big aspect that I see that's missing in most management programs is also robust content in conflict management. 
look, a big problem we have today, and I hear it over and over again from human resource professionals, employee relations professionals, lawyers, <laughs> I work with a lot of them in my day to day. And uh, conflict management is something that a lot of people really just have not learned. And it goes back to what I said before, you get someone who gets promoted into a supervisory role. Well, it's just like uh, someone who doesn't really know how to manage conflict. They will duplicate a bad example, like yelling at someone. If they were raised by a very uh, stern parent that uh, truly just would uh, kind of berate their children, uh, well, that's the only thing they know, yelling. Yelling and shouting and fighting back by yelling is the only example of conflict management they know. What we have to do is replace that model with what is effective and constructive, productive kind of conflict management and not destructive behaviors. If you have a problem right now with especially performance management, where your supervisor just procrastinate giving feedback, they just aren't holding employees accountable, usually the root cause of that is the lack of understanding how to manage the conflict. Or they perceive that when they sit down with the employee, it will be this big blow up and they're just so afraid of that confrontation, so they keep procrastinating. One of the ways to bust through procrastination is when you know how to do something. Think about it yourself. If you put off certain tasks or assignments because you're not sure how to approach it, you keep procrastinating because your how-to skills are missing. So this is my point. If we give supervisors the how-to skills with basic supervision and we give them the basic how-to skills of managing conflict, then they stop procrastinating because now they know how to, all right? They'll overcome also their internal fears of managing conflicts. All right, so let me talk about some key content in terms of you know more do's and don'ts. All right, the do's and don'ts of the laws, we've gotta do that. We've certainly gotta do the performance management and teach them about how to handle performance and behavioral problems and how to document. We need to give them conflict management, but they definitely need to know also how to delegate effectively and how to develop direct reports. Um, you know, these days, our workforce, they're very hungry for development, aren't they? They want to be CEO in two weeks. <laughs> I certainly admire their enthusiasm, but we have to temper that enthusiasm with a little dose of reality. A lot of frontline and mid-level managers are also micromanagers and control freaks. I mean, they work a bazillion hours, they don't delegate a darn thing. And then what happens is they start heading down a dangerous road of burnout. And then, of course, that leads to expensive turnover. So learning how to properly delegate uh, to employees is paramount to their success. And really, delegation is really, quite honestly, developing. The two go hand in hand. Let me start wrapping things up in today's episode by sharing with you also some general costs for good management training that will help you in reducing your employee issues and hopefully investigations. All right. Now, in my company, as you know, and if you tuned into my podcast, I own RPC Human Resources, and we've been around for 22 years. And uh, we do a lot of training. Uh, we design training. We facilitated everything from management training to compliance training and, and even uh, internal investigations training. Um, but uh, our management program, one of the most popular ones, is called Contemporary Leadership, Driving Results, and Managing Risk. Using an example from one of our longtime customers, uh, they're a trucking company, and they uh, implemented a 24-contact hour, what's called a learning track program. So every quarter, one of our instructors goes on site to their location and delivers uh, four training modules. So that's four in a one-day program. That's typically like an 8 to 4.30. But what they do is spread it out over four quarters. So this model works well for them. They're a smaller employer. They have about 110 employees. 
And uh, so it allows them to spread the cost out, but it also allows them to carve out the time, honestly, because they're pretty busy. They run a pretty lean shop. So instead of trying to cram all four days in succession, like at an offsite retreat or something, they decided to do quarterly. And we have a lot of other customers that like to follow that model as well. Well, the benefit to that is also it allows for continuity from one class to the next, and it allows them a few months in between sessions to apply what it is they've learned. So then each class discussion at the very beginning is, well, what did we learn since last time? Let's talk about what you applied. How did that work out? What did you struggle with? Right. And then it's somewhat of a rewind and refreshing what they learn. So each session builds on the next. And then, of course, next session, move into another, let's say, three, four uh, training modules in the current classroom session. So for a 24 contact hour program, in other words, that's four days of training, if you will, that is providing leaders with the framework of the compliance and do's and don'ts, things like all the EEO laws, other anti-discrimination laws like the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act that's new, National Labor Relations Act, and then also teaching them the very basics of just what is leaders, what is leadership, what is the role of a leader, managing employee performance, documentation, how to handle the termination, you know, things like that. So in that type of 24 contact hour program, that's typically going to range between $1,000 to $1,500 per attendee. So the difference between the low end, let's say hovering around 1000 and the upper end around 1500 it factors in with a lot of variables. Okay, um, One of the big ones is, can everybody attend the training at one time? Uh, now, for smaller organizations, that may be possible. You have a team of, let's say, eight managers, and everyone can meet at once. Great. But for some businesses, you may have, let's say, 30 managers. Well, you don't want to put all 30 in a class at one time. That's too many. Typically, um, you know, we've done it, yes, at the request of, of some of our customers, but um, that is a bit too many. We really prefer to keep our class sizes at the very outside 25. Um, 20 people in a class is a pretty good number, 15 to 20 per session. But if you um, have to schedule what are called repeater sessions because your management team can all attend at one time, what happens is that that adds additional days of instruction. So that means more facilitation. So the instructor has to stay an extra day, two or three days. And then also that adds on uh, additional hotel and ground transportation meals and incidental expenses when the instructor is on the road. So that's one of the reasons for the big difference is the number of days of instruction really weighs into uh, your cost. Now, when I shared the cost, the 1000 to 1500 some of you were probably like, oh, wow, that seems kind of expensive. Well, I'd like you to think about what are you comparing that cost to? And a lot of times what I find is the comparison of a management program like I've described, comparing it to like those uh, kind of one-day seminars at your local hotel. You know, you probably get uh, barraged with a lot of emails and things like that enticing you to come to a, a one-day class at your, your local hotel. Or if you've gone to training at a local SHRM chapter or meeting or something like that. Well, when you're comparing those types of programs to what I've just described, that's like comparing apples and oranges. They're just not the same. The type of program I've described is, first of all, tailored specifically to an organization, to its industry. The classroom activities and things are going to be relevant to the, like in my one customer, it's trucking. So everything we talk about in classroom exercises, we'll be using real examples of things that they deal with in trucking on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So that's a tailored program. The other thing is also, it's a legal compliance program combined with leadership development. So instead of you scheduling like your annual, let's say, anti-harassment program and you hire a vendor to come in and 
uh, deliver that. And then at a separate time, you're doing some sort of management training. Well, this is the type of program that it packages that together. So quite frankly, that sort of price range is really pretty darn cost effective. Now, there are management programs out there. I can tell you, like the Center for Creative Leadership and some of the very large like Fortune 500 companies, they'll send um, you know their managers to these week-long retreats. You're talking about $5,000 a person for those. And those are about the same lack, all right? Now, that's where you know, you're talking very intensive training, and this is for a much higher level. What I'm kind of describing, this is for your typical like small to medium size organization, usually businesses that don't have more than you know about four or 5,000 employees, right? So I'm not talking about like your GEs or your AT&Ts, right? They, they certainly have the need for much more uh, sophisticated programs, and they have leaders that are managing globally and you know, so on and so forth. So I'm talking about more your U.S.-based, domestic, small to medium-sized businesses. So that's a general range, right? But you do have training programs that are considerably more expensive than that. Now, in summary, what are best practices in preventing HR investigations? All right, train your managers, train them on the laws, train them on the how-to skills so they know how to coach, guide, and mentor employees to ultimately drive performance for your business. Look, leaders need to also understand how to accomplish results by working effectively as a coach. They can't do that unless you make it a priority to teach them. And as I always say when I'm teaching investigations training classes, remember, the best investigation is the one you don't have to do. And what I mean by that is if you prevent the employee issues to begin with, you won't have to engage the reactionary process of conducting an investigation. A better trained management team equals reduction of employee complaints reduction of risk to the business in the form of reduced fines or penalties, avoiding them at all, you know, avoiding them entirely, uh, lower turnover, especially with top talent, far less unscheduled absenteeism, and overall improvement in organizational performance. You'll see it show up in your metrics. All right. So that's it for today's show. All right. I look forward to having you all back for another episode of the HR Investigations podcast. Until next time. See ya. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Investigations Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share the show with any colleagues who will benefit from our strategies and solutions. For free bonus resources, simply visit hr-investigations.com. And remember, if you'd like some help with improving your investigative skills, or if your organization is in need of an external investigator to help with the case, please get in touch with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.